What we're planning to do for the next four weeks is to look at different parts of that. And so uh, what happens is that each week there's an email that goes out, and in the email it contains um, a link to the seven different chapters for that week and to a devotional written by a different member of the, the congregation, so 28 chapters, 28 different <coughs> devotionals. So um, uh, without embarrassing everybody and going into it, their names are at the top if you want to know who's, who's read them, uh, who's written them, rather, and uh, you can make some comments. And if, if your comment is just thanks, then that's, that's great. You know, just say, well done. And if you, it really helped you to see something different that you hadn't seen before, then say so. Just say, that was really good. I saw something I'd not seen before. That helped me in my situation. Because that is so encouraging to the people who are writing these and also all the other people that work very hard to, to get it into the, the format that it is. So we're going to start looking at Acts 7. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's a long chapter and you have the opportunity to read it today anyway. So that would only be to repeat the process. Um, Acts 7 tells the story of a man called Stephen. And Stephen was a leader in the early church, in the, the young church, let's call it. The early church always sounds to me like those people that got up at about five in the morning. Um, and I'm not one of the early church. I'm one of the kind of mid-morning churches uh, that suits me better. But uh, it was the young church. The, the first few chapters of Acts, they, they read like they happened in about a week. Uh, that's not how they happened. They happened over several years, most scholars seem to think. But we're still in the early part of the, the growth of the church, of this movement of, of Jesus people who are beginning to bring change, not just to their city and to the region and to the nation, but eventually, of course, to the whole world. Stephen's quite an extraordinary guy and his story is extraordinary but in order to understand it we have to try and see the whole context of what was happening. So even though some of you will know this very well and some of you will have read through all of these chapters quite recently, uh, I'm just going to skip through what's happening and I have this uh, magic thing here which hopefully is going to change that. Uh, on I don't know if that was me or you. Was that? Was that? Okay. Anyway, Acts. Boom. I mean, that's, that's what happens in Acts, basically. Jesus dies, comes back to life again. And at the beginning of Acts, very little is happening. You can't see anything on the surface. What you have is a group of quite frightened individuals who are clustering together to feel safe. And then the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost and Boom then everything starts to, to break loose. Right, I'll try it with this, and if it doesn't work, I'll ask you to do it. Yeah, it looked, it worked. So here is the context. Peter preaches at Pentecost. If you look at Peter's story, you see the journey that he's gone on in a relatively short period of time, and he's gone from a place where he had been actively denying Jesus, he'd been fearful of those around him, and then he'd been through this kind of, you know what it's like when you let somebody down and you ask them to forgive you and you, you pluck up courage to, to face them and they say, yeah, okay, I, I do forgive you. And, and you go through all of that. But there's still something within you that you just think, do I, do I really feel forgiven? That's happened to me once. I went through this, this process and this, uh, uh, these people forgave me for something that I'd, I'd done wrong. But I, I just didn't, I hadn't received forgiveness I was still feeling quite uncertain. So I went back to them and I asked them again. I said, can you just tell me again, please? Just tell me that, 
that you forgive me again. I need to hear that. I need to confirm that. So Peter had been through all of that. And then the Holy Spirit arrived and Peter simply gets up to explain what's happening. He doesn't go through a lot of preparation. He doesn't have notes. He doesn't have a PowerPoint presentation. He doesn't have a PA. They probably don't have chairs. He simply says, this, what you're seeing, it's that, that uh, this prophet Joel wrote about, about 800 years ago, 600 years ago, something like that. It's the same thing. This is that. In fact, there was a, there was a book called This Is That in the 1970s or something, which is so long ago, none of you would have heard of it. But it was, it was simply, it was about Pentecost. This is that. That's what Peter did. And you know what happens after that. It's all in Acts 2. And then Peter and John, they get moving on. You see, it's a little bit poetic, that. I just thought you'd... Nobody went, yo, really good. But... Uh, Okay, I'll try. I'll keep trying. Um, what happens is uh, they're going through their new daily routine. They go up to the, uh, the temple at a time to pray. And there's a chap sitting there who they probably have seen before. And they bring healing to him in Jesus' name. And that's the most extraordinary miracle. I don't know who was more surprised. I really don't. I mean, the guy was obviously surprised, and he was delighted because he was jumping around and praising God. I imagine Peter and John looked at each other and said, well, I wasn't expecting that, were you? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I know how I'd feel. Um, and then inevitably they get into trouble because uh, there are some people who didn't like the fact that this guy who'd been crippled for 40 years at least... Uh, was was healed. Isn't that strange how that happens in, in some people? Something absolutely wonderful happens and there are still some people that go, that shouldn't have happened. I don't like that. Um, it bothers me more when it's the church that are doing that. But um, that's another story. We won't go into that right now. So Peter and John, uh, they get moving on. Then Ananias and Sapphira appear on the scene. Uh, we don't know much about them other than this piece of really bad news. They had a really, really bad idea. And their, their bad idea was simply to try and lie to God. Um, they tried to, to lie by, by giving the impression that they had uh, done more than, than they had. And the crazy thing is, what they'd done was wonderful. They, they'd sold this uh, property that they had, and they, they could have taken a piece of that and said, here you are. But they, they wanted to look better than that. They wanted to say, we're giving the whole thing. We want to look extra generous. And because they, they did that, uh, you've seen the consequences. They, they died instantly. Um, and if you want to, to go back and, and read uh, the reflection, which actually Henry wrote on that chapter, I just thought that was, that was really powerful. And there's something really significant there that... that uh, Henry wrote about. So um, go back and read that. I won't uh, bother telling you all that uh, now because he says it's so much better than I could. One of the things it says of Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? Why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? I thought, That's, isn't that an interesting phrase? that they had allowed Satan to fill their heart. That suggests to me two things. One, our hearts can be filled. And two, uh, we have a choice about what fills it. Yeah. We can choose about what we allow to fill, what goes on in our hearts. And we can, we can fill it with, with anything. That, that's very, it's a risky strategy on God's part, 
isn't it? That, that people who were believers, who presumably were filled with the Holy the Spirit, they could be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they still allowed Satan to, to fill their hearts. Um, this is not the, the purpose of my talk this morning, but I noticed it, and I just thought, that's worth going away and thinking about and asking the Lord, um, what am I letting fill my heart? What, what am I allowing to come into my affections, my, my motivation, my, uh, my attention that uh, leads me toward you or leads me away from you? This is all part of the context that Stephen was in. And then there were great miracles. There were great miracles, but there was great prison. More miracles went on. And then prison happened. It says the apostles, says, that's, that's a whole bunch, that's a job lot, went and collected everybody. That's like, uh, I, again, I had to, to think about this. We have a, a leadership team for the church, as you know. And uh, if that kind of thing were, were going on, I just wonder who would, who would get arrested? Would it just be Sim and Ruth? And if it is, I'll visit, don't worry. Uh, or or would, it, would it be the whole of the leadership team? In which case, please visit. Um, or maybe just me in, in which case please visit um, but there, there was a risk involved in, in stepping out now they were beginning to see that something that was incredibly good news to them was not received as such by everybody else uh, we then move into this, this other section of, uh, of Acts which is every bit as important because it's still in the Bible. But somehow we just think, oh, here's, here's a little bit of an insight into daily life. It is an insight into daily life, but no more or less than everything else. They had already established a program to feed the people that needed feeding. They'd realised straight away, and we'll look at this a little bit later, how important it was to look after each other. And so uh, in the, the organising of this, and this... This really is very relevant. This is a little bit like asking the leadership team to organise something. And uh, everybody goes, well, they may be the leadership team, but they're not very good at organising this. And so the team went and said, look, we, we're no good at this. We're much better at doing this. We'll concentrate on doing this. And you choose seven people. And I think these days it could be people. The fact that it was men then, I think, was just because of the culture of the time. So don't get too excited or concerned about that. Um, choose seven people who um, are wise and full of the Holy Spirit and let them take care of it. And the, the implication is that that pleased everybody. Uh, they did the job very well. Everybody got well fed. All the people that needed looking after were looked after. And then some of these chaps seemed to get some ideas a little bit beyond just serving and they started talking about Jesus to other people. And Stephen is the one that the story focuses in on. It doesn't mean that the others didn't. My guess is that they probably were doing similar things. But there was something about Stephen and about his story and the way the story ends up that uh, we get captured by. So Stephen speaks. And there's a bit of a pun here. There is stony silence. See what I did there? Yeah, you, you didn't think it was funny, did you? No. It took me ages to think of that. I, I worked really hard on that one. Uh, and it was difficult because there wasn't actually silence. There was a lot of uproar when he was speaking and they were shouting to try and drown him out. But Stephen speaks and something happens. 
then now I am going to read the Bible. You'll be reassured. Uh, this is Acts chapter 7. Um, Stephen runs through a history of his own people. Um, perhaps they'd had a series on understanding the Bible because he understood the story really well by then. As I was reading this, I just thought, how would we manage with this? How, how would we as a, as a congregation, given that we've been trying to look at this through the year, how would we manage in, in starting from... Uh, the beginning of the story and, and running through. Stephen runs through it uh, in a pretty masterful fashion. Um, and I'm going to read the, the last few verses. This is Stephen being subtle. That's, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? This is how to make friends and influence people, isn't it? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, unsurprisingly, um, and they, took their, they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. So the Jewish leaders, there would have been at least 70 of the, the Sanhedrin. There are probably some others as well. And these guys, these were powerful people, and they were cross. So they were really irate. Stephen knew that his life was in danger, and he did not focus on what was happening around him at all. Full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the place of honour at God's right hand. Um, and he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honour at God's right hand. Uh, and they all thought, wow, that's amazing. They fell down on their faces and all repented and came into the kingdom. Not my version. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They wanted to fill their hearts with something else, didn't they? Or their hearts were already filled with something else and they wanted to avoid the intrusion of something that would do them good. They rushed at him, they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Uh, you probably know that when we're in, in our worst situations, what's really inside comes out. Um, it's like when you, if you accidentally stand on an insect or something, you see what's inside, it comes out. When, when the insect's under pressure, what's inside comes out. When you're under pressure, what's inside comes out. Stephen was under pressure. This was what was inside him. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. He didn't say uh, they don't really mean it. He said it was a sin, but he said, don't charge them with this sin. Interesting what he'd had fill his heart. So that's the context. That's the context that Stephen's in. That's where the story comes from. That's the introduction. And I've got a bit of time left. Do you know all the kids have gone for a walk in the park and they're having ice cream when they come back? Who'd rather be with them? <laughs> 
Right, this is my message. It's up there. Don't look at me. It's up there. Feel safe. Be brave. Feel safe. Be brave. There are two principles in Scripture. Intimacy and courage. There are lots of other principles, but these two have really caught my attention recently. Intimacy and courage. Um, Feel safe. Be brave. That's the kind of memorable thing it's more memorable than intimacy and courage but this is this is the 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 truth i've discovered intimacy and courage they go together you have to have both you can't be courageous without being intimate with the father and you can't be intimate without wanting to be courageous intimacy without courage is just sentimentality intimacy without courage is just sentimentality courage Without intimacy, it's just bravado. We need the two together. We have to feel safe so that we can be brave. Um, I'm going to try and condense what can easily become a half-hour story into about three minutes, but it's a great story. Um, uh, Anne and I went to uh, stay with Jill some years ago, almost a decade ago now. And um, as a uh, Jill Pogmore, friend of ours in Uganda, for those that, that don't know, um, and my wife, uh, for those that don't know. And we, um, we went to stay with her. And as part of that, we had the opportunity to go on safari for three days. Now, this was Anne's lifelong dream. She's nutty about wildlife. And she'd always wanted to go on safari. So we, we had this opportunity. And we, we, uh, there are a lot of wild animals in uh, Uganda. You probably realize that. And... Um, we, uh, we were taken and we, we had a Land Rover and we had a guide and we could drive around this um, reserve and it was just fantastic. And it was really hot, as you would imagine. And so the, uh, and there, were, there were three ladies and myself and then the guide, um, this lovely, lovely African guy called George, which I never really thought was a very African name, but there you are. And I was sitting in this uh, rickety old Land Rover, and, uh, and he said uh, to me, do you want to sit up on the roof? And I just thought, oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, much better than sitting inside this rickety old Land Rover. Let's sit on the roof, uh, which has no seats, and has, um, it, it had a, a kind of roof rack, so it had nice, comfortable, thin metal bars to sit on. Yeah, that was a bad idea. But uh, we sat up on the, the roof, and it was just fantastic. Uh, the ladies were... Um, in the car because they were sensible, and I was up on the roof with George. And uh, one of the things that we particularly wanted to see were uh, some lion. And, uh, of course, George, knowing the the, the park well and and knowing where all the animals used to hang out, um, he said, I know where to go. So we we drove off somewhere, and uh, sure enough, we found a pair of lion just lying around. And uh, (laughs) that wasn't even deliberate. I'm I'm just naturally funny. And... uh, as we came up to the, the lion very slowly, because George was on the top and he was uh, speaking to the lady whose Land Rover it was, she worked in Africa, and he said, just, just approach slowly. So she did approach slowly. And as we started to approach slowly, cutting the long story short, what started to happen was this incredibly horrible whining sound was coming from the engine, which turned out to be the, the belt on the air conditioning system packing up. And the air conditioning was on. And so... Th- as we were approaching, the, uh, these animals were paying no attention to us whatsoever until the whining started. <laughs> then they started to pay a lot of attention to us. And they were, uh, they were so close. I mean, they were, 
They're as close as the PA desk are over there. In fact, they looked a bit like... No, they, they, they were that close, literally. And we were sitting on top of the, the Land Rover. And I suddenly realised that these lion, uh, lions were looking at us and they saw two things. They looked inside the Land Rover and they thought, mmm, canned meat. <laughs> and they looked on top of the Land Rover and they thought, mmm, fresh meat. And uh, of all the escapades that I've had in my life, that was the one where I thought, this is tricky. <laughs> this is really, really tricky. And uh, I, was, I was praying, as you might imagine. Um, I knew what was... Uh, you know when I said we stood on something that was under pressure? I was under pressure, and what was coming out was, help! And... Uh, after a, a, a while of that going on and uh, George talking to the lady who was, was driving and uh, eventually we worked out what it was or she worked out what it was, switched off the air conditioning and, and so the, the Land Rover was, was just there and the lions were you know, doing their thing and just watching us. And um, at some point in this process, I realised something important. I was on the roof of this, this thing and believe me, I'd been through everything. I was thinking, how quickly can I get back into the, the Land Rover um, is that going to be sensible? You know, just you can imagine all kinds of things going on. I realised that this guy on the roof with me, George, had uh, been working. Well, he was in his fifties and he'd been working in the park since he was a teenager, um, and he wasn't bothered. And I thought, well, that's interesting. He knows a lot more about this situation than I do, and he's not bothered. Uh, I know nothing about this situation, uh, and I'm bothered. So I decided to stop looking at the lion and I looked at George. And I thought, I'll watch him. Because if he starts to get bothered, then I'll get bothered. But if he's calm and peaceful, I'll be calm and peaceful. Scripture encourages us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our safety is in Jesus. Our safety is not in assessing the situation that we're in. As soon as I found my place of safety, my place of intimacy, if you like, I, had to, I mean, I was sitting on this Land Rover roof, it was quite a small space, and, and I was quite near to, to George, and, uh, and I just thought, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. Literally, that's the thought that went through my head. I was gazing at his face. I was looking at his eyes, literally. And, I, and then afterwards, when I thought about it, I thought, wow, I'm not going to forget that experience because that's such a powerful reminder of what we're called to do that's where safety was that was the safety that Stephen found and that's the safety that we need you see we can't be brave in the things that we're called to be brave in whatever they are and we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute unless we find a place of safety I was doing some um, teacher training recently uh, and it was um, for a group about leadership and uh, and I was trying I was given some material and I thought, I can't work with this material. I mean, it's good, but it just isn't me. So I tried to come up with something else. And um, uh, like all good people doing training, uh, I resorted to YouTube because you can always find something on YouTube that's good. And I found a TED Talk by a guy called uh, Simon Sinek, who's not a Christian guy. Uh, he's a, he's a, a leadership expert, management and organisations and corporations and so on. And um, he did a talk about leadership and uh, he said uh, the main job of leadership is to help people feel safe he said the best analogy i can think of is 
Um, it's like a family. So this guy, from a completely different background, was talking about safety, security, intimacy. He was talking about parenthood, fatherhood and motherhood. He was talking about that kind of safety, and then he said, your, your organisation can then operate effectively from, from a position of, of safety. The church could operate effectively from a position of safety. Let me just read through some of the other things that made them safe. I think I may have prepared this earlier. Yes, I did. Here we go. Uh, Could somebody read that to me? Sim, could you read that? Because I can't read it from here. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Okay, they found their place of safety with Jesus simply by spending time with him. These guys and the community with them had spent three years following Jesus around and just doing the Jesus thing, having meals and and walking and going somewhere quiet and being in the midst of incredible crowds with dramatic miracles going on. Uh, facing down the, uh, the religious attitudes of the time. And the Pharisees noticed that they had courage to stand, or the, the leaders noticed they had courage to stand in the face of opposition, even though they didn't have the training, even though they didn't have the background, they didn't have degrees in theology, they hadn't had years and years of, of being with some highly ranked rabbi, but they had been with Jesus. So a position of safety is enhanced by being with Jesus. Thank you, Steve. I guess that's helping. That's certainly helping me because that, the light was coming uh, right off somebody's car window. So um, thank you very much. Uh, if you want to feel safer, spend more time with Jesus. Seems fairly straightforward to me. I don't always feel very safe. This... Uh, this week, beginning of this past week, I felt really unsafe. It's quite unusual for me. I, normally, I feel fairly kind of together and secure and, and so on. And I had a couple of things coming out, one of which was last week, one of which is in a couple of weeks or week and a half's time. And um, they, the enormity of them, the implications of them, uh, was settling on me. And I was becoming more and more aware of how big those things were and how small I was, rather than the fact that I was somebody who spent time with Jesus. And in that kind of uncertainty, and I felt really weak, really weak. And I needed to to do something about it. And so I said, I have to spend time with Jesus. Because what happens when I spend time with Jesus is he reminds me of what's real. He reminds me of the things that are true and helps me to see what is untrue in the light of what is true i can spend time with jesus this way i can spend time with jesus through prayer i can spend time with jesus through worship and all three i can spend time with jesus by being kind to myself and getting out of the the pressure of whatever the situation is and just taking a moment to let that pressure go off if it's uh, and it will be different things for, for different people. 
But sometimes we just need to be kind to ourselves. Sometimes other people need to be kind to us. We had a, a story this morning. This, I mean, it sounds as though this guy was done a lot of good just by the kindness of let, letting uh, his dogs come to see him. That seems to me something to do with safety. Um, can somebody else read that next one? Anybody? First one starts, just carry on. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God and Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God. He was filled with faith. He hadn't allowed anything else to fill his heart and so he just chose to look. He didn't, I don't think he thought to himself, oh, I'll just look at Jesus. I think he just, it was praying or whatever was going on in his heart. And, and I think heaven was revealed to him in some way. But it was revealed to him because of, of the way he would receive it. And the way he would receive it was determined by what was going on inside him. And sometimes I think, I, I, I'm not really getting through to you, God. I'd, I'd really like to get through to you, God, but I'm just not making contact right now. And, and I, I have to realise that, that um, he's not a slot machine. No. Um, he's not a machine where I, you know, I just, well, you don't put money in anymore. You just sort of flash a card at it. But he's not a machine where I, I just sort of do one thing and, and suddenly he's, he's there. He has the capacity to be there and we have the capacity to come into his presence that way. But that doesn't mean that if we come in in a way which is irreverent or isn't recognising what's going on, that it's going to happen automatically. And sometimes we, we, we have to take time and we have to be still. And um, we have to ditch. I mean, what happens to you when you try to be still? You have 15 million things come into your head. Happens to me all the time. Happens to me while I was worshipping this morning. I was you know, trying to worship this morning and my mind was going off all kinds of other directions. Um, and so we, we have to get a grip on that somehow. But we can only do that from a place of safety, from a place of safety knowing that there's a, there's a point to get to. Because when we know we're safe, then we can afford to be courageous. They can afford to step out. Stephen knew he was safe. And the, the demonstration of him knowing he was safe was the fact that when he looked toward heaven, he saw Jesus. And so he could be courageous in the face of that. Just a, a few pictures I found of dads with kids uh, thinking about the father. And these, to me, they, they demonstrate different aspects of intimacy. They're all, they're all youngish dads with small, uh, youngish children. Just use your imagination a bit and uh, say, how is it when you come to the father? I love this one. It's just, isn't that great? That's intimacy, isn't it? That's complete security. Does that girl think her dad can't do everything she ever needs? Of course she does. Because um, that's, that's the closeness of the relationship. That's the kind of safety that we need. That's the safety that we need to build into a community. That safety looks like lots of different things. It looks like care. It looks like, for those that were listening last week, when we, we talked about what we're doing in the different parts of the church when Cheryl was talking all she was talking about 
was to do with, with safety. Safety looks like something. It looks like caring for each other. It looks like kindness. It looks like uh, thoughtfulness. And when we're safe, we can have courage, intimacy and courage. This is courage. Just to, to reach out to people, just to, to show kindness. Because what we're saying is, hey, I, I've got a safe place. Would you like to come into my safe place? Or I can bring my safe place out to you. My safe place is safe enough to embrace other people. Sometimes we need to know a safe place when we're going to work. These are people going to work on a train, if you didn't know. Um, uh, you know, It's pressurised, particularly if the train's late and it's crowded and you can't get a seat. And It's one example. But do we have a safe place there? Do we feel safe then? Sometimes, yeah, that's where we'd all like to be. <laughs> but sometimes we need courage just to get out of there, don't we? You ever needed that? Yeah. Sometimes you just need courage to get out. You say, no, I don't, I don't want to go out there. It's, I, uh, things are controlled here. My pillow's controlled. My nice clean sheets are controlled. But when we feel safe, then we can, we can get out and face the day. It's courage to say, I can, rather than I can't. Yeah. At the beginning of the week, I wasn't saying I can't. I was just thinking, I'm really not sure I can. I'm really not sure I can. And then I, I, I mean, one of these things was, well, they're both unavoidable now. Um, so <laughs> one of them was unavoidable and I was there and I just thought, well, whether I can or I can't, I'm going to. <laughs> so, so I just did. And... Um, and it was okay. I'm imagining that all of us uh, would like to feel safer or be braver. Um, and I would just like us to, to pray together. If there's anybody who says, you know, I'd just like to feel safer. I don't always feel safe. Um, and I'd like to feel safer. Because um, we can all feel safer. I'd like to feel safer a lot of the time, believe me. So um, if that's resonating with you... Um, Please simply stand and we're going to pray. <coughs> Father, we, we've discovered you're a safe place. But we want to discover how much safer you are than we've imagined. You are so much safer. You are the impregnable fortress. You are our rock. You are immovable. You surround us. You wrap us around with care. You shield us with your power, your love, your goodness, your armour, all the different ideas and images we can think of. I pray that for everybody uh, even those that are, that are not standing and still thinking, actually, I'd, I'd like to feel safer, that they will feel safer, and from that position of safety, they will feel more courageous. They will see things and think, I can take God into that situation. I can, I can take my safety into that situation and know that I'm still safe and know that my safety is never compromised by anything because nothing is stronger than you.
So I am always safe. So to move out actually is not to lose your position of safety. It's just to move out in a position of safety. Jesus, when he was teaching about being the, uh, the, the shepherd, he said, you know, I bring my sheep into the, the fold, but then I take them out again. I lead them in and I take them out. And that's from safety to bravery. Feeling safe, being brave. Intimacy to courage. Because later on we got sent out like sheep amongst wolves but from a place of safety. So I pray that for those people standing, they will have such an amazing experience of safety that their, their bravery will go off the scale. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that would be true. I ask that we grow in our intimacy with you so that our preparation to speak courageously, to act courageously, to love courageously to live courageously, our capacity to do that increases. And we ask it, Jesus, because your name is the ultimate place of safety. Amen.